Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, Lord, and we want to give you the praise, the honor, and the glory this morning, Lord, and just pray that our pastor and his wife are just relaxing, enjoying their time, Lord, that they're um, just, you know, enjoying everything that they're doing, being away. And we pray that you bring them back safely, and uh, next week, Pastor Bill will be up here, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, if you turn in your Bibles to the book of Jonah, it's a funny thing when Pastor Bill was telling me about teaching uh, a couple months ago, I started looking at Joseph, you know, in the book of Genesis, uh, a lot of chapters in Joseph, in uh, Genesis, I dedicated to him, probably 12, 13 chapters. But then as time went on, I felt like it was Jonah, and recently, every time I turn on the radio, or anything, all these pastors are talking about Jonah. So I said, yeah, this must be the right thing. Um, the book itself, most scholars feel, was an autobiography by Jonah, who's a prophet. Um, he was from Gath-Hepper, which is near Nazareth, uh, in Lower Galilee. And in John chapter 5, verse 52, the Pharisees were wrong when they stated, search and look, for no prophet has risen out of Galilee. And uh, Jesus came out of Galilee, came out of Nazareth. From Jonah's home, Assyria in Nineveh, or Nineveh in Syria, was northeast. Joppa was southwest, and Tarshish, which is Spain, was due west. So we see in chapter 1 that Jonah was going as far away from the Lord as he could get. He was going to Spain. He was going a couple of thousand miles away on some boat of some type. There's four chapters in Jonah. The first one is Jonah's running from God. The theme in the second one is Jonah's running to God. The third one is Jonah is running with God. And the fourth one is Jonah is running ahead of God. So we're probably going to look at chapters one and two this morning. Um, I have the clock up there. It keeps track of the time. I call it the shot clock. Because it, it counts down, and I see every Sunday Pastor Bill is dribbling that ball down on the court, and he's looking at the basket. He's got 20 seconds left to go, or maybe a minute, and he jumps up, and he slam dunks that ball two hands through the hoop. So hopefully we can do that this morning. Um, anyhow, chapter 1 in Jonah. Uh, Jonah flees from the Lord. This is the basic message. Um, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Um, we see a couple of command statements here, imperative statements. Um, the first one is, he's go to Nineveh, go to Nineveh. Uh, it's a pagan city. A lot of biblical scholars think it had about 900,000 people. It was a big city. It's explained that way in the book of Jonah also that it took three days to get to it or three days to go across it. It's a pretty large city. You know, even New York City doesn't take you three days to get through. Um, and they were a mortal enemy of Israel. This is one of the reasons why maybe Jonah didn't want to go there. Uh, they were also ruthless to their captives and torture in the vicious way they killed their captives. won't get into those details, but it was... Just horrible. And the second command was to preach against it. So here's a guy that's going to a foreign place. 
he doesn't like these people, and he has to preach against it, you know. Um, it's pretty heavy, heavy burden. So Jonah knew of their evil ways and wickedness as an enemy of Assyria, so he didn't want to go there. He didn't want God to give him any mercy or grace. He wanted to have him destroyed, basically. So in verse 3, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down, and this is the key word. I'm going to mention this word down a lot, so keep this in the forefront. Uh, to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. King David expressed the presence of God, and where can you get away from God? Basically, in Psalm 139, verse 7 to 10, it says, Where shall I go from thy spirit, or where shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the hell, behold, there, are you. there you are also. Um, I take wings of the morning and dwell in the outermost parts of the sea. That's pretty appropriate when we're going to look at Jonah. And um, in verse 10 here, even there shall be thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. You can't get away from the Lord. <laughs> He's there. He always will be there. You just can't get away from him. So one of the key words that's used is but, B-U-T, comes up um, 11 times in the book. Uh, and it's used by Jonah and used by God. For God, is, it always turns out, when he uses it, it always turns out for the best. But for Jonah, it's the exact opposite because he's running. He's, he's um, you know, turning away. So another word we see used frequently in chapter 1 is down. Whenever we are running from God, we're only going in one direction. We're going down. And we're going down, and it just depends upon how long you stay there how far you can go down. Um, here in verse 3, we see Jonah going down to Joppa and down into a ship, um, bound for the farthest place from where God had told him to go. So his mindset is he doesn't want to be doing what the Lord wants him to do. So why did Jonah not want to go to Nineveh? One of the reasons is wickedness. Ruthless people was another one, violence. Uh, tortured their cap captives, as I mentioned earlier. And Jonah didn't want them to escape the, God's judgment. So if you look at that, I don't know if I would want to go there. I mean, it'd be like going to a country that's, you know, you're, you're coming up against an army of people that want to destroy you. As a single person, you're not going there with troops. You're not going there with armor. You're going there preaching the word of God, which, in fact, is more powerful than anything I just said. So verse 4, then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own god, small g, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. This is something that sailors, these are uh, seasoned sailors. These guys have been on the seas. Here we see the Lord imp employing the things of nature. And, uh, you know, uh, the wind and the sea. He is the Lord of all. He commands everything. He can tell the sea to be rough. He can calm it. We saw him do that with the apostles on the Sea of Galilee. And he said, like, why are you waking me up? And he just rebuked the sea and it became uh, calm. It's, it's the same way here. It's going the other way, though. He wants to kind of shake it up for Jonah. Um, 
So in verse 5, Jonah had gone below deck, and he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God, small g. Maybe he will take notice of us so that he, we will not perish. So, you know, they're doing everything with their God, not the real God. And here in verse 5, we see Jonah going down again, down below deck. And he's doing, what's he doing? He's laying down. And, um, and basically what he's doing while the tempest is raging, he's sleeping. Wow. I don't know. I've never been at sleep in uh, the middle of the ocean or anything like that during a storm. But there's a couple of people in here I'm sure that have, like Gary and uh, Rudy. They were in the Navy. I'm sure they had those experiences out there that were pretty gnarly. And um, so it had to be something really wild because these sailors were afraid. It had to be something that was really coming against them rather uh, bluntly. It shows Jonah's mindset when he's sleeping that he turned off to everything. He didn't want to listen to anything. He didn't want to hear the Lord's voice. He didn't want to talk to the sailors. He didn't want to do anything. Um, so we can now see the Lord creating the calamity at sea to put Jonah in a situation where he can repent because that would be the first step that he would have to do. But he, does not, he doesn't do it, and the storm continues to get worse. Um, the, something to note here is, remember about sleeping, we could draw an analogy to, to sleeping Christians, and I have like six examples. Um, sleeping Christians, and they, they kind of correlate to the book of Jonah here. Sleeping Christians like to hide out among the church like Jonah hid out, we hope no one would find them. But people that come in, they come to church every week, and they go in and out like that. And there's things to be done and things like that, but for one reason or another, they just don't do it. Sleeping Christians, number two, stay away from the work of the Lord, like Jonah found a place where we couldn't help on deck. You know, again, we have gifts and talents and things that the Lord has called us to do, and we're really to step into them and do them so that the body of Christ becomes stronger and we can do more work for the Lord. Number three, sleeping Christians do not like prayer meetings. Like Jonah slept while there was a prayer gathering up on deck. It was to the wrong God and everything, okay, but if he had gone up there, maybe he could have led them to the point of where they were praying to his God. And we'll find out in a little while that these guys might have realized that. Um, Sleeping Christians uh, do not know what is really going on. Like Jonah slept and had no idea of what was going on above. You know, he's, he's not looking out the port. He's sleeping. Um, he can probably feel the rock and rolling going on, but he's not interested. Sleeping Christians are in danger, but they really don't know it. Like Jonah slept when he was in great danger. And the one thing about um, not being involved and not doing things sometimes is that um, you need the fellowship. You need the, the other believers to come beside you on things, to pray for you, to, um, to help you out, to do something that would, would help you uh, grow in the Lord and things like that. To be out of fellowship is not a good thing. It's, you can be separated by the enemy. You don't have that complete uh, um, Thing around you that protects you, you know, a lot of it. You have the Lord, you have the Holy Spirit, but the church itself, 
is we all know each other. We're to stand side by side. And if somebody falls, somebody else gets up in the gap, you know. So sleeping Christians snooze on while the world needs their message and testimony. That's number six. What was Jonah sleeping when the heathen needed him? He was sleeping. Um, and, and one of our things is really to take the word of God out into the world, to present it to people in your own way, in the way that you feel comfortable with it. We're given ways to do it in the Bible. We go to evangelical training. We go to all sorts of stuff. But ultimately, the world needs our testimony. They need the word of God. And the ones who are going to do it aren't the ones who are out there a part of it. It's going to be us. We should go out in your neighborhood. And this is difficult for everybody, you know, especially if you don't like your neighbor or he doesn't like you or she. But we need to take that step of faith and see what God can do for us and for him in in doing that. Verse 7, Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Verse 8, So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? And then they have some questions for him. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? They want to zero in and find out what his pedigree is. So in verse 8, they have those five questions. But in reality, he answers in the next verse. He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. So Jonah answered questions five. I'm a Hebrew in question two. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And answer the rest of the questions. But that was enough for them to become terrified, as we see in verse 10. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? So they want to know exactly what's up with this guy. Um, you know, I think because, you know, they just wanted to zero in and figure it out. So Jonah has the sailor's attention at this point in time. Another question, what have you done? They must be thinking he has to have done something really bad for these circumstances to be like this in the storm and the that's created all around them, that they're going through. Um, However, in reality, it is really Jonah's sinful way of running from the Lord that has not only put him in the way of trouble, but also the people that were with him. You know, just by association sometimes it happens that way. Verse 11, the sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Another question, a lot of questions these guys have. Uh, what is going to take us out of this calamity in the sea? Basically, they're saying, what do we have to do? So he answers them in verse 12. Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and I will become calm, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. So he takes responsibility for it. Uh, what Jonas replied, throw me down, another down. He's still going down. In spite of the elements of the storm he's, he is in, he still wants to keep going where? Down. Hasn't repented yet. It's a good lesson for us here. Um, so in verse 13, instead, the men did their best to row back to land. They had some 
character. They didn't want to throw him overboard. But, there's but again, they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. So the sailors did their best to head toward land, but it was impossible. The sea was coming against them. In verse 14, now, they're praying to Jonah's God because it turned into a capital G for forgiveness if they kill an innocent man, uh, indicating that the Lord was the reason for the storm. You know, they understand that this is what's going on. So in verse 15, then they took Jonah and threw him overboard and the raging sea grew calm. Verse 16, at this, the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, and made vows to him. So once they threw Jonah overboard or down again into the sea, still going down, um, and down on his run from God, the sea settled became calm. Very interesting. And then in verse 17, the Lord's at work again. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So finally in verse 17, we see that the Lord sent a huge fish. Some people like to think it's a whale, but a fish and a whale aren't the same thing. A fish is a fish and a whale is a mammal. Um, So we see Jonah still going downward, even into the belly of the fish. Still got that motion going downward. Um, and this is where he is for three days and three nights. Can Jonah go, the question is, can Jonah go any further down, you know, from running from the Lord? So as a, as a kind of a summary, what do we see in chapter 1? Does it do any good to ignore the call of God? And the answer is, No, right? What happens if I ignore the call? Then you are running away from God's call upon your life. Will that do you any good? The answer is no. What results happen? We start a downward path away from him, away from the Lord. And, um, you know, we just continue it till we repent. Um, What if I do something instead? that I feel like doing, and it's good service to the Lord. It is still not what God wanted you to do. It's an alternative. There might be great things going on, but it's not what the Lord called for. You might have good results, but it's not what the Lord called you specifically to do. And God will bless probably what you're doing, but he really wanted you to go to a different location, a different thing, be involved in a different ministry or whatever. And um, I've experienced that personally. You know, heard the call, went someplace else, enjoyed it. It was really good. Some great things happened. But it wasn't where the Lord wanted me. And to this day, there's things that aren't done in that place because of not following the call of God. Um, Even if we decide to go to a different direction, ignore the call and run away from it, God will pursue us. He'll always be there like he pursued Jonah, still there with the storm. He will never leave you nor forsake you, the Bible says. He won't. He is a loving and compassionate God. He loves us more than we could ever imagine what love is. We can't understand what God's whole thing about love is. We have a finite mind, and God's mind is infinite. 
Um, as Jonah knew, he was loving and compassionate. That's why he didn't want to go to Nineveh. Because he figured because of that, he would, you know, free the people from their, from their ways and things like that. He will make his presence known to you until you've reached the end of your struggle or your run. And he'll always be there. It might be very, um, very light, very easy, but that voice is there. He's talking to you, or he talks to you through the word of God. At any given time in the ignoring path or running away path, you can repent at any place along the way. You can say, Lord, I'm sorry. I should have did what you did. And then things start to turn around step by step. You ask God for forgiveness and submit to his will. And it just depends upon how stubborn we are. I happen to be a stubborn person. And I know that I've been stubborn with God many times. And then finally, when you take care of what he asked you to do, it's like this burden that's like taken off your back. And it's like, why didn't I do that in the beginning? Because you're dumb. You're stubborn. Um, Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. It's a long time. Can you imagine how bad that was? There's no lights. The smell must be really bad. Gastric acids are eating away at your skin. They're probably making you white as this piece of paper here, you know. And then, you know, eventually, I, I, would you be absorbed into this fish's, you know, would you die? I don't know. So Jonah was in complete darkness, tied up by seaweed. Can you imagine that seaweed wrapped around your head? You can't see anything, but you can feel it. You don't know what else is in his stomach, and he might have swallowed something that could bite you or something. Um, but this must have been overwhelming for him. So finally, in chapter 2, he's come to the bottom. He's down as far as he can go. Tied up by seaweed and all the stuff going on. He's probably nauseous. I mean, I would be. And finally, um, we see what happens in chapter 2. He starts to what? He starts to pray. So let's look at that. Let's look at chapter 2, which is Jonah's prayer. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. So the question is, is this as far down as Jonah's going to go? And the answer turns out to be yes at the moment. Because in chapters 3 and 4, he gets a little bit backslidden again. So, but he's going he's to carry out what God told him to do in the beginning. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I call for help and you listen to my cry. That's part of Psalm 18.6. Verse 3, you hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me, and all your waves and breakers swept over me. That's a reference to Psalm 42.7. And then in uh, verse 4, I said I had been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. Um, It's an example here. When praying, it's always a good thing to include in prayer those things that God has given us, you know, in a psalm or a verse or something like that. And and I'm sure the Lord loves that because we're using his word to say things back to him, what we believe. Also in this place where Jonah is, there's no light. So how does, Jonah's not reading something. You know, he can't see anything. So this is coming from within. This is coming from who he is, who he really is. And the prayer is coming from the memory of God's 
scripture, the memory of the word that was given to him in, in his time, and he's using it to praise the Lord. Verse 5, the engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me uh, in forever, but you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. He realized as he went down as far as he could go, and he was making his way back. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those, and then this verse, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Everything else in life basically is worthless, he's saying, except my relationship with God. And that's the number one thing and number one relationship that we have. And that's the one that we should nourish and nurture the most. Verse 10, and the Lord commanded the fish and had vomited Jonah onto dry land. And when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about how far in did the fish come? He, you know, the fish had to be in water. It was a big fish. So he didn't, doesn't look like he'd come up on land. But his vomiting was like an artillery shell coming out. You know, and then he hit the beach, probably rolled over a couple of times. I just wonder what he looked like. You know, his clothes must have been affected. And if there was any on the, anybody on the beach that saw him, imagine seeing something like that. Be like, wow. You'd be thinking, like, I must be losing my mind. And finally, Jonah started speaking with the Lord in prayer. A beautiful prayer. A prayer that um, used the, the Psalms. Uh, it came from his heart. You know, he was making the, making the turn. He was making his way back to God. And God has heard his prayer from deep in the belly of the fish. And it had to be at the end of three, three days and three nights because we know what the limitation was by the word of God. And God commanded the fish, and the fish vomited Jonah onto dry land. Wow. All the last three days... Jonah was sitting there in the fish. And he was probably sulking, but then his heart changed a little bit. But where was the fish going? The fish was going in the right direction. The fish was heading towards the land where Nineveh is. So God was helping him to get to the right place at the right time. Um, Finally, after praying and acknowledging God and speaking to him, he was released and pointed in the right direction. Nineveh was probably a good distance away still. You know, it's not on the, it's not on the ocean. It's not on the, the sea. It's a, it's a ways inland. So we all have a destination in the Lord's plans for our life, every one of us. There's a destination that God wants us to be at. And sometimes he changes that. We get to the first one. We do the things the Lord wanted. And then he turns around and said, okay, it's time to go someplace else. Or time to do something else in the church. You know, but he points you in the right direction. All we've got to do is listen. Say, okay, Lord. Or if it's something we don't like, man, I really don't feel like doing that, Lord. But we don't want to be like Jonah. We don't want to start that downward spiral. We don't want to keep on. It's a lot easier to listen to the Lord in the beginning than it is after you've been in trouble for a while. And, and, you know, if we do that, the Lord will bless us. He's going to bless us eventually anyways, but that does, doesn't matter. It's what we have to go through.
You know, and some of it can be trying times. Some of it can be very difficult. But we grow in those times. We grow in our strength. We grow in our faith in the Lord, faith in the Word of God. And we become robust, you know. We go from a 50-pound weakling to a 250-pound muscle-bound person. Um, This morning, we all need to ask ourselves, Am I going in the direction that the Lord has told me to go? Or am I running in a different direction? Because it's more comfortable or I just feel like doing what I want to do. It's a question that everyone here should ask that today. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lead not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. Shall is a mandatory statement in contracts. Whenever a shall there is, it's a mandatory, it has to be carried out. And he's saying, I will carry out that shall statement in your life if you, if you trust in me, if you give me your, all your heart. That little word, all, small word, huge, huge thing. And lean not onto your own understanding, meaning like you could lean and fall over. You could fall down on that. You know, it's like leaning on a... On a then stick, and then all of a sudden you're on the ground. Um, the Bible defines for us the ways that God speaks to us. And there's many ways God performs the speaking to us. And I, I picked out like four examples this morning of what that would be. There's many, many, many more. Many more. Uh, the first one is God speak to us through other people. And the reference to that is in Acts chapter 15, verse 22 to 27. This example, I'm not going to read it, but this example is when the apostles in Rome sent chosen men to go out and teach the Gentile believers and tell them what the faith was all about. So there's other people that have come to us. How did, how did we come to the Lord? I know how I did. Somebody spoke to me when I was 16 years old, didn't listen. And then later on, people would give me tracts, four spiritual laws, the way of salvation, all sorts of things. I collected them over the years. I had a bunch of them. By the time I come to the Lord, I'm stubborn. I'm like Jonah. And as a matter of fact, on the Day of Atonement in the synagogue, the prayer that they read in the afternoon of the Day of Atonement is the book of Jonah. And the Jews at that point in time yell out, I am Jonah. So that's the question for all of us to ask today. Who am I? Am I Jonah? And if I am, how can I turn it around? God speaks to us through the word of God, Romans 10, 14, and 15. This is about using people, but I'll read this. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And, and verse 15 of Romans 10. And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? It is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. It's an awesome, awesome verse. So he's through the word of God, people delivering the word of God. And Sunday, you listen on the radio. You can watch videos. You can listen to music. There's words of God in music, a lot of it. Great worship is great scripture, too. Um, you know, there's pieces of it in songs and things like that. The Psalms itself, great words. But, you know, how can they do it if, if we don't go? 
You know, how, if people aren't sent to give the word of God, you know, it's not going to happen. And um, I've experienced that myself. Um, I was on a trip one time to Pennsylvania, and I was at Toby Hearing Army Depot doing some work with two other guys. And Scranton and Wilkesbury are nearby. And I, on a, the other two guys, one of them was a Christian, one wasn't. But that was a Wednesday night, and I was looking for a Bible study, so I asked if I could use the car. I said, yeah, take it. It was like 20 miles away. And there's a valley called um, Wyoming Valley between Scranton and Wilkesbury. And there's a lot of towns along the way and everything else. So I went down there, and I'm driving around looking for a church that I can find where I can go and have a Bible study, you know, and praise the Lord. So I'm driving down, driving down, and all of a sudden, I hear this little voice. What do you see? I'm thinking, I'm not going to answer this question. (laughs) So I answer the question, Lord, what I see is religion. Those church steeples all the way, they were all dark. The buildings were dark. There were different kinds of churches. But there was none of them open for a Bible study on a Wednesday night. Wow. So I'm driving down further, and the Lord says, well, what are you going to do about it? I thought, like, what do you mean, what am I going to do about it? And I thought, oh, no, no, no. I live in San Diego, California. I love it. I don't want to go back to Pennsylvania. I grew up in Massachusetts. I know what winters are. And I love it where I am. So that was kind of the end of that, that talk or that prayer. And um, so I came back from that trip. And every time I turned around, I ran into this, these, verse, these two verses. And I thought, wow. So one, one night, on a, on a Sunday night, I was up at Costa Mesa. My son and my daughter-in-law lived close by. Went up there for dinner. I said, hey, let's go listen to Pastor Chuck. We go over there. What, what book was he in? What verses was he in? Those two verses. I go, okay, I'm listening. And about a year later, about nine months later, it's when I left California for 10 years and I went back east. But I answered the call. Um, but the, like I said earlier, I went to a different place. I didn't go to the right place. I was blessed. It was great and everything. But I could still see things that weren't going on where I should have went. And that's the thing, too, is to key in on exactly where God wants you to go. And don't look at something that might be better or something more favorable. Because in the end of it, you might do great work and everything for the Lord, but it isn't the one that he started out to have you do. So the third example is God speaks to us through our hearts. That's Isaiah 65.1. I reveal myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me to a nation that did not call on my name. I said, here am I. Here am I. When... When somebody speaks to you, when you're a non-Christian, and you listen to what they have to say, and they give you John 3.16, or Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, and things like that, it affects your heart. All of a sudden, you're thinking like, you know, what was that said? How do I do it? And this is the Lord using somebody, but also he's speaking to us through our heart. He's trying to soften our hearts. And that's what the word does. We go from hard hearts to softened hearts, fleshly hearts. And one of the verses in the Bible talks about writing his word on your heart. 
on a fleshly heart, not a stone heart, because it's difficult to write in stone. But God can write in flesh because it stays there and it makes it mark. In 2 Corinthians, you yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. Um, we were talking about this on Saturday morning a couple of weeks ago, you know, about going out and uh, doing evangelism and things like this in the men's group on Saturday. And um, a couple of examples were given. John gave an example of how we should go out and present the gospel. And Rudy gave one that's exactly in Second Corinthians 3, too. He said, you know, we give them the word, but they should read it. They should see it in us. That's how people read us. They look at us and they say, hey, what's written on our hearts, we should be able to be transparent enough so that they can read it and look at it. You know, they can't actually see it, but they can see it in the, in the feeling and in the, in the way that they look at you. Um, another verse is Second um, Corinthians 3, 3, 3. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. The fourth example of how God speak to us, speaks to us through Jesus Christ. That's the greatest one, our Savior. John 10, 27 says, My sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. It's a very interesting verse. And why did Jesus use that? Because the people at that time would understand it. You know why? Because in those days they sold sheep in Jerusalem at the Sheep Gate on Friday. still goes that way today. And you can go to that gate on Friday. It's either Thursday or Friday. And you can watch the people that are sheep sellers and the people that are sheep buyers come in. The better ones come in some way or the other. And these trucks pull up, and there's negotiations going on. And they go back and forth, and they're, they're bargaining over what the price will be. And finally, at the end of it, they do almost like a high five. I think that's probably where it generated from. You know, and somebody copied it. But that means the sale is done. And you watch the shepherd. And all of everybody's sheep are in the paddock. Everybody's sheep. And you're looking at the, how are they going to distinguish the sheep? You know? The shepherd opens the paddock door. And he starts speaking. And his sheep start walking out one by one by one. It's an amazing thing. It's like, wow. So God speaks to us through Jesus Christ. And that's how he does it with us. You know, we listen to him. We move along in life, listening to his word, listening to who he is, and following a path that's the path that God set out for us. In uh, Hebrews 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, in the past God spoke to our ancestors, to the prophets, at many times in various ways. But in these days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. God made everything. He can speak to us. In the Bible, there's examples where donkeys are speaking. You know, um, it, it's truly amazing. But these things did happen. These things have been this way. And uh, the only thing we have to do is listen, you know. And sometimes it's difficult to listen. But once we open up our ears and once we open up our hearts to listen, God is going to do some amazing things. So in closing, 
If the Lord gives you a message to perform something for him and he has opened the door for you to take the first step through the doorway, what should you do? Take the first step. You should step right into that open door through faith that God is going to take care of you. And then the Lord will give you the next installment in the process of performing the task of ministry he has asked you to do. And we all have experienced that. We know how that works as a believer. We know that. And sometimes we forget. But take the first step in faith. I took the first step in faith to come to the Lord. Let's just follow that continuously. And we'll have a great life. We'll be serving the Lord. So if you're going in the right direction, if you're a person this morning that's going in the right direction, and you really believe it and truly understand that, keep on going. However, after talking it over with the Lord in prayer, and you find you're not going in the right direction that God has ordained for you, then take action and go in the directions he's ordained for you. See what happens. You know, the results will be amazing. The results will be just, you'll be stoked. It'll be so great. And finally, be obedient. Step out in faith through the door. He's open for us, for all of us. We all have that door. Puts it out there, okay? And a lot of people say, well, should I pray about going through the door? If you open the door, take a step through it. And then pray where you are after that step is taken. Because at that point in time, you're on the way the Lord wants you to go. You'll never regret it. There'll never, ever be a regret. You'll be enriched. You'll be blessed. You'll be loved. You'll be in the best place you could ever be. Um, There are abundant blessings awaiting all of us when we walk the path that God has directed and ordained for us to follow. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that we are so blessed to be able to come to a place like this, Lord, and have your word and have worship and have fellowship with one another and have communion, Lord. The four things that really make up the church and who we are in it, Lord. So we thank you. We give you the praise, the honor, the glory in all things today and forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.